Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup, on-farm research and demonstration with host Chantelle McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesdays of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI's team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials, and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Carson Callum. Carson is the General Manager of Manitoba Beef Producers. Carson joined Manitoba Beef Producers in 2019 and comes with an extension background in agriculture. He has a Master's of Science in Agriculture, specifically related to beef cattle. Carson has worked in many areas of the egg sector, and the beef industry is near and dear to him. He grew up on a small beef farm south of Miami, Manitoba, and now lives in Winnipeg with his family, which includes his wife Brittany and sons Cohen and Sullivan. Carson admits his favorite role in life is fatherhood, but he sure enjoys working on behalf of the beef industry as well. On this episode, we will be discussing some of the challenges beef producers are facing this spring, as well as Manitoba beef producers' advocacy efforts and the support that is available to farmers and ranchers. Welcome to the show, Carson. Thank you for taking time to meet with me today. I know that there's going to be some very useful information in this episode for producers. Let's start first by sharing a little bit about your history and background in regards to agriculture. Great. Thanks, Chantel. It's wonderful to join you today and uh, chat about a bunch of different things that we've been up to on behalf of beef producers here in the province and really talk on those issues that you laid out. I come from a farming agricultural background, grew up on a beef farm south of Miami, Manitoba, quite small compared to many of the operations here in the province now, Um, but it sure really was great to grow up with cattle around and, and have that upbringing. And, you know, from there, that's really what really got me interested in agriculture. And I went to the U of M and did a bachelor's there uh, in agriculture and and continued on and did my uh, master's degree in animal science, specifically related to beef cattle nutrition. So I have a lot of background in the beef space, which makes this current role really exciting for me. Following my master's, I had worked for a variety of agricultural groups, uh, first one being Canola Council. So I had lots of fun there really focusing on canola meal as a livestock ingredient and and promoting it within the country and internationally. And that led to another role out in Calgary, again, related to canola. So I was on that side of the industry for a while and worked for Dow AgriSciences, which is now Corteva AgriScience on a canola product that they were developing. But when my young family was started out in Calgary, 
both me and my wife really wanted to get back to our, our home province and be close to family for our kids. And then I saw this great opportunity of Manitoba beef producers come up and I applied and went through the, the vetting process. And here we are. What does a typical day look like in your role with Manitoba beef producers? Well, you know, it can definitely vary, especially with the varying files that we work on. You know, we do a lot of different meetings out of office with whether it's MLAs, industry partners. Just got back from a great meeting with Ag in the Classroom, for example. So it it's never uh, the same thing day to day, I'll say, which is there's a lot of variety, which is really nice. And, and I enjoy because there's so many different files that impact the ag sector and in particular the beef sector. So get to do a lot of great things and work with a lot of great people. What is your favorite part of the position? My favorite part has been, you know, besides being directly involved in the beef industry, which is where I grew up, it's just been the directors and staff I've gotten to deal with. I know that's fairly all-encompassing, but I would say that's really the best part. Because honestly, when you're dealing with an, an emergency or a crisis situation, that's not a fun file to be working on for even us or producers out there who are dealing with it on the ground. Mm-hmm. But it's it's been a pleasure and an, and an outright joy to work with the directors that I get to and the staff here that I get to work with. It's just, yeah, that's definitely the best part. The past couple of years have been especially challenging for producers between the drought situation and feed shortages last year and the spring storms flooding and excessive moisture this spring. Can you share some of the advocacy efforts Manitoba Beef Producers has been involved in and what this means as far as support for producers through these challenging times? Yeah, absolutely. And you really nailed it when you said it's been a challenging time. And I'm sure that's an understatement uh, for many. If we think a full year ago this year, it's amazing how different of a scenario we were in. In the early spring last year, when we saw that we had no snowpack or no snow melt coming and no rain on the forecast on the horizon, we knew we needed to start advocacy efforts for support systems then. Our board and staff really started focusing on water availability first off because folks' dugouts weren't filling up. So we wanted to ensure that if there was a funding stream in place from the provincial government specifically, that it would address that issue. So that was one ad advocacy piece where advocacy takes different forms, whether it's form a letter of request or engaging with leadership within the provincial or federal governments to have things moved on their end. But that was really the focus was water availability. So we really focused on BMP 503, which is a provincially cost-shared funding program to allow for water infrastructure to be developed on farms. So that was opened up. That was number one. And that was really good. But the rain never came. And then we knew feed was going to be the next issue. And as we saw last summer, all the way from Northwest Ontario into BC, it was a drought. So it wasn't just a drought scenario for beef producers here in Manitoba, it was the whole West. So we knew feed was going to be a major shortage. So it became a provincial advocacy and federal advocacy effort between all our joint cattle associations and the Canadian Cattlemen's Association to push forward for an agri-recovery funding portfolio. Have people had that before where it's a drought across all of the provinces in the same time in the same year? Definitely not the folks in our group, I would say maybe, you know, some of the older guard on CCA or with some of the cattle associations, but, you know, a lot of us, we haven't seen that widespread of a drought for 
you know, many, many years. I think they referenced the 80s last year was the other really bad drought that impacted a, a wide part of, of Western Canada. So it was pretty interesting and challenging to deal with, with it being so widespread. It was with that widespread nature that allowed us to really connect with our counterparts from other provinces and the CCA to, to push that effort forward. One of the, the key things that we wanted to accomplish last year and with help from CCA was having provincial and federal leadership out to these hard-hit areas of the drought. So we were able to get Federal Minister of Agriculture, Mayor Claude Bibeau, out to one of our directors' farm near Gimli in the middle of last summer, right at the height of the drought, to really have her see firsthand what the impacts of that disaster scenario was. And that was really impactful. And I truly believe that, among other things, was what helped move the needle, having provincial leadership out there. Due to health issues, unfortunately, Minister Eichler, uh, who is the current Ag Minister, wasn't able to come, but a lot of uh, Manitoba provincial staff and officials joined us, and then some their federal officials as well. So it was having all those folks out for an actual engagement so they can see it on the ground is what moved the needle on getting some of these dollars committed. So that was the first step of this advocacy effort related to drought. I think people talking about it is a big deal. But actually being able to have the minister out and seeing that, I think, had to be eye-opening for them and to be right there with the people who are experiencing that. And you just get so much more emotion and so much more feeling out of it when it's something that you actually are seeing and experiencing with people instead of just being something that you're talking about on the phone or typing in an email. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that just hit the nail on the head there. That's what we believe drove some of the push for that agricultural funding support is they got to see it firsthand and see the emotion from some of the producers that came and talked about it. You know, even, you know, Mike and his family talking about how they potentially going to have to sell a, a good portion of their herd. It really shows the emotion behind the, the metrics. So it was, it was really good. And then things moved on from there to uh, different parts of the support system. And I can continue on with that if you'd like. That would be great. Yeah. Once funding for agri-recovery was announced, so for listeners' benefit, agri-recovery is a funding framework that allows federal and provincial government to put funds for disaster financial assistance. It's not a specific program like crop insurance. It's just a overarching legal framework, effectively, that allows them to make a program. So each province has the right to make it how they want They have to meet a certain criteria underneath the federal rules. So each province negotiated differently. Our province decided to do an invoice-based system initially, capped at a per head payment of $250. So if you had to purchase feed externally from the farm, for example, you could have a claim against that up to $250 per head. Other provinces took a, a more simpler approach in our mind initially, and which we had recommended strongly to the provincial government at the time, was just a per head payment. Per however many breeding head you had, you got a per head payment um, and you could use those funds to purchase feed or supplements or what have you to keep those animals on farm. So as I said, provinces take different approach that they feel is necessary from their internal leadership and that's the approach they took. However, after we got through the winter months and saw the utilization of the program, I have to say the, the province was a lot more open to our feedback of where the, I guess the pinch points were in the program. 
where producers aren't able to access it and they were able to open it up a lot more and make it a lot more accessible um, for producers. They originally opened up what feeds were claimable under it as uh, alternative feeds. They added supplemental feeds and minerals underneath the claimable uh, $250 expenses. They also did transport support separately. And then they eventually added a extraordinary expenses section early on in 2022 for those that say cut the ditches more than they did they normally do or had to source feed in a different way than they normally do so those changes throughout the program i know have led to folks being able to benefit from the program again i still feel it would have been simpler just to do a per head payment both from a producer administration perspective and government but they made the decision as as a province and they did what they did at the end of the day that with adjustments i think it was a beneficial program and then and then we started to get into the later winter and saw how much snow we were getting. And then now here we are. The fact that we were in a drought where at this time last year, and even I think on the weekend, they said we were at a record heat wave too at this time mm-hmm. of year. And then a year later, we have way too much water in certain areas and at least in Manitoba and having to deal with the impacts of overland flooding and mm-hmm. snowstorms. It shows why agriculture is never an easy game. The other piece that is funded under this program, and I'm really wondering if much will be utilized, especially with some of that late season rain to help keep some cows around for extended grazing last year, uh, was the herd management program. We had advocated for a portion of the funds in the Ag Recovery Program be, be focused on those that were forced to sell in the summer and could help support them to buy back. And that's what that program really did, or its intent was, and it won't technically pay out until next spring when the window ends and you have to purchase back or retain animals this summer from your own breeding stock. But that was a, an important one at the time. I'm wondering what the uptake will be and things I've heard from provincial staff is that it wasn't much uptake, at least before the deadline. So we'll see what I hear back in the coming weeks related to that. But if you think about last summer, we were getting so many calls from producers just you know, in tears saying, we got to sell off our whole herd. And our worry at the time as a board was, okay, if it's, if we don't get the rain we need here, this could happen. And we don't want to see a complete detriment of the industry. So is there a way that there can be a part of it that recognizes those sell-offs and supports some buyback in? And that's what that herd management plan was intended to do. But a lot of our directors had indicated once that late season rain came, it might have helped keep some of those animals around. And do you think there's some people that will have sold out that they'll decide not to go back in? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it's due to the to the weather, and there's no doubt. Um, and then some of it's you know, due to many other factors within the beef sector in particular from a financial perspective. But we are getting into that, you know, that demographic shift in the beef industry as well, that you know, some of these producers that weren't at retirement yet, but were close to it. This was the last straw. They just said, that's it. And that's, that's unfortunate for sure. Cause mm-hmm. to be, have to be forced out like that due to horrible weather conditions is just, it's heartbreaking to think of. Yeah. Especially for that demographic after you've spent your whole lifetime and your whole career in farming, yeah. building your herd, getting the genetics that you want and having that herd base that you're looking for, and then being forced out of it because of the lack of feed and water. I can understand those people not wanting to start over. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. It's truly is. It's amazing the 
the flip that we're in in a different scenario now. And that's, I think the only thing that I can say about the current scenario is generally with the beef industry, excess moisture is better than no moisture. And we can work with excess moisture more than we can no moisture. There's more potential for feed to grow as if you're seeding into dust. That's why I'm, I'm more optimistic that we're in this scenario, but I'm hoping producers can get the support they need to counteract the impacts of the storms that we saw in the spring here, those spring storms, which I'm happy to chat on now if you'd like. So the deadline to apply for any of that acre recovery grant has passed, but there is going to be supports available for both flooding and the spring storms. Is that correct? Yes. Ag recovery has ended that current iteration of that program, except for the herd management one. The herd management one, the deadline to declare your herd size reduction is passed. But if you go back to the herd size you had pre-drought and can prove by next February, the amount of animals you retained or purchased in, there will be an available funding support there. But you had to have declared what that herd size reduction was by now. Moving into the disaster financial assistance. So DFA is under the Emergency Measures Office administered in the province, and it's a cost share with the federal government. It's not funded under the Ag Department or administered by the Ag Department. It's administered by a separate entity within the province. However, underneath that program, livestock losses due to those spring storms or floods are included. So if you were a producer in you know some of that southwest side of the province and you got hit back-to-back snowstorms and you lost a bunch of calves during your calving season, those will be eligible for compensation underneath this DFA program. We encourage producers to go in and do the online application as it is right now to get a claim number. And then each claim will be followed up on by DFA staff. So you might need to submit in further information such as the vet declaration or insurance declaration to support your claim before dollars can be flowed to your operation. And it does take time. That's another thing I I stress with with this type of program that's very all-encompassing because it provides support not just to agricultural producers. It's for folks that, you know, had a flooded basement due to some of these pieces and need to claim some dollars that aren't, aren't covered under their insurance program. That's where that steps in. So it takes a while to administer, but the major positive here is that livestock losses were included because in past iterations of DFA, they were not. I'd read that the applications are due within 90 days. Is that correct? Yeah. Three months from now and encourage producers to, you know, to put in that initial claim because that's what the three month deadline is for. You got to get your application in. And do you know if say calves were sick, but they looked like they maybe were going to recover or they were stepped on and maybe looked like they were going to recover. And then unfortunately they've passed away or they had to be humanely euthanized if those losses will also be covered under that grant. So DFA, this is their kind of first kick at the can for doing any sort of livestock related losses. And that's why they are using the federal ruling of having a vet certificate. And in that vet certificate that we developed, it does account for those. So it's basically a declaration. If I'm a cow-calf producer that because of those storms, I've talked with my vet and he can, you know, faithfully say we lost 10, 10 animals as a result of it um, due to those variety of reasons. And he can declare that for you with that declaration or certificate that we had worked with the DFA and Veterinary Association to develop. 
it should go with it. And they're not expecting at all that there's a postmortem required. It'll come down to your relationship with your vet, and that's where they, I guess, put their fail-safe in to ensure there's not people taking advantage of the program and also getting benefit from the program. So it's that veterinary relationship that you can use to declare those losses. And if there's listeners who maybe haven't heard anything about the program, can you explain a little bit about how the payout is done through that program? Yeah, for sure. So you'll need to send in what animals you lost and based on the class of animals, newborn heifer calf, newborn steer calf, yearling, mature cow, mature bull, differentiate between those losses because they will value them differently. And then they're using the same calculation that the wildlife compensation claim uses under MASC, except the full gross, not the net. Because in wildlife compensation, they uh, only give 90% of the total value. And using CANFAX data to determine what that value would be, they would use what the potential value would be for that animal in the fall of this year when it was sold. So the 100 weight of a 500 pound cow. They're using 500 pounds for the newborn. And then if you had a an animal die, they would do it on a per pound basis. And it'll be different valuations based on what CANFAX is, is saying in the market for those heifers and steers. Because it's projected on a future market, say for the calves, will mm-hmm. producers have to wait until fall to see what the actual market is, or it's just going to be, this is what they're projecting it's going to be. And so this is what the payout is going to be. That I don't know quite yet, Chantel, because I don't know when they'll actually start processing these claims. I know how they're going to calculate it, but seeing as it's a 90-day window, I'm not positive on that final number that they're going to use. If it's at the time and there is fall values being used, they might use that. But if they start in July and all they have is futures data and not enough to, to support it, it'll probably just pay based on that at the time. And have you heard of lots of producers that have lost calves? Yeah. And- Part of our advocacy efforts, it always helps to have data to support things. Mm -hmm. So if you want to prove a point, government usually likes that you have data. So after the first storm and then the pending second one coming a week later, we're getting a lot of calls, a lot of texts, a lot of emails of losses that were occurring as a result of it. So we made the call to ask producers to send that in to us. And I could, in the office here, confidentially consolidate that all into a, a number. And before the DFA program was announced, we were at around you know, 250 producers reporting and around close to 3,000 losses at that point. Mostly newborn calves, yeah. as you can probably imagine, but it was a mixed bag. It was some trampling of others, mm-hmm. everything from newborn calf up to that mature cow or even a few bulls. What it helped us do is really drive home the impact to the province to say, okay, this is happening. They're not covered under regular insurance programs, or if they are, it's very cost prohibitive. So that, that helped us, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had a bit of pushback of quoting those numbers in different media, but I, I took the risk and it's just something that advocacy groups have to deal with. And with representing livestock is always dealing with some of those animal advocates that hear about that and really hear those, that type of data and misinterpret or don't have the full on the ground knowledge to know what actually happened. They just see a number. So we got a bit of unfortunate media as a result of that, but I'm still comfortable with the approach that we took. Good for you for doing that. Yeah. I feel like it's becoming a bigger thing. I think probably because of social media and media in general is that that Mm -hmm. pushback by animal activists who probably don't understand the length that producers are going to like you do all you can, but at the end of the day, it unfortunate sometimes the losses that you're going to have. 
if we think about the, one of the biggest challenges in the livestock sector, and we'll focus on beef in particular, it is that public image, it's that public trust. I know it's been said to death, but it's going to be still one of the biggest issues in the next number of years as we think about who's growing into making purchasing decisions, who's growing into having the voting power. And we need to ensure that people understand what actually happens on farm. And it's why we focus a lot of, you know, industry dollars on public trust efforts to try to counteract that message, because I'll just give you a bit of the, just a little bit of insight on the fallout of looking at numbers and saying death losses and the, the balance that was taken there to try to convince government to go do funding, but knowing animal rights advocates were going to probably raise the red flag. We've gotten even some reviews on our Google page, Manitoba beef producers saying they let this many calves die in the storm of 2022. It was very preventable. And you know, to me, that just shows the lack of knowledge and the lack of information about the industry that that individual would have to think that it was preventable or that they didn't do all they could. Because the amount of producers that I talked to, if that individual would talk to them and see how exhausted and in tears they were from you know weeks of Mm-hmm. of battling these storms, I think they might be singing a different tune. Yeah. However, that's just, it's really a huge effort that the industry has to undertake. And I do have to say, though, we're getting a lot better at it, just betraying that public trust. The social media is a double-edged sword, right? Where there's those people out there that are going to be calling you on everything, but it also is a really good opportunity for people in the beef field or in any of the livestock fields to make sure that they're sharing their stories showing pictures and talking about what your family is doing or giving up in order to maintain the livestock that you have. What message would you like to share with a producer who's facing a particularly challenging season and what mental health resources are available to producers? You know, I think in the agricultural community, mental health has become a major focus in the last you know, five years, probably longer than that, but with social media and the much various other projects, I think it's become way more apparent of its importance in in agriculture in particular. And I know producers this year are facing a lot of challenges, and it's been back to back to back to back for some of them, depending on what area the province are in. So there's no silver bullet in my mind for addressing these challenges, but it's important to talk about them. And if you use the calf loss due to spring storm as an example of one of the challenges they've dealt with, I think a big help for producers' mental health is to talk to their peers in the space that have experienced the same thing. Because when we were asking for that outreach for, for numbers, just the fact that they had an avenue or a, somewhere to call to report, it wasn't necessarily for sure they were going to get help for it or funding or anything like that, but it helped to talk about it out loud. And I think that's what you have to do with any of these challenges and issues you're dealing with. Like, I think drought, everybody probably was very focused on, okay, what can I do to get feed for my animals? But it took a challenge like this widespread calf loss to make me really realize it's important for all producers to keep with their networks and talk about it. There's many resources available, you know, the farm and rural support network and other you know, other avenues that folks can take to talk to specialists on the matter. But really talking with your peers about what you went through, in my opinion, helps. And that's what I try to encourage all our directors to do and anyone involved or anyone that calls in. 
And you can always give me a shout here at the office. I've uh, gotten pretty good at chatting with people. That's a really, really good advice. I know for us, like when you're in the thick of it and you're dealing with the losses and you're trying to get cows moved through the storm and you're like right in that situation, you're maybe not thinking about what do I need, right? You're thinking about what can I do to support my cows? How can we get through this? What are we going to do? And for us, there was several times where I would look at Brett, my husband and say like, should we even own cows at this point? Why are we doing this? But then talking to people afterwards and having that validation, I guess, of, of, yeah, we did everything that we could do. And we still lost calves. Like you feel like at the time, like maybe you're doing something wrong or you're not doing enough to support them and to be out there and not spending enough hours. But the reality was just that there was some things you couldn't do. And I think that's exactly it. Lots of things were out of many of your control and just like many of the other challenges that are going to be coming in the sector that we haven't seen yet, maybe out of producer's control, but it's really important to, to have those moments where you bring it up to make sure that you know you're not the only one. It helps with your mental health just to know that you aren't doing it poorly. You're yeah. doing all you can. And I encourage producers this summer, if we have the moisture and the heat to have good feed growing conditions and good pasture conditions to to get together at their neighbor's place with a cold beverage if they'd like <laughs> and uh and talk about those issues and even you know get into the the hard conversation of what you went through hopefully with this heat and some of the support systems that have been put in place and we maybe see some favorable market conditions come the fall we can get some positivity back in place and help with mental health which has been last number of years, very challenging in particular in the beef sector. I would agree. There are some professional resources on the Manitoba beef producers website for listeners who are looking for them. You can visit mbbeef.ca and there is a number of mental health resources listed, which include the Manitoba farm and rural stress support services line clinic, community health and FCC's resources. And I'll link all of those with the websites and their phone numbers in our show notes for people that are looking for those. In spite of the challenges that the industry has been battling, what are you looking forward to in beef cattle production in the coming year? Well, I can tell you what event I'm looking forward to right away is that we're hosting a, a barbecue for members in the base and inviting you know many government officials and industry colleagues out to it on July 13th. So I encourage folks to try to make time for them, even though I'm sure haying will be delayed and <laughs> Field work will take precedent, but hopefully folks can come out for a burger and uh, just some good fellowship with folks in the industry on that date. So it's at MVFI on July 13th. Yeah, hopefully folks can can make it out. It won't be stuffy business stuff. It'll just be <laughs> light and hopefully lots of laughs. In terms of this coming year, you know, I think there's there's so many challenges in the beef space and we always talk about them, but there's things to look forward to. When we think about the public trust effort and our, our our efforts as an industry to get that message out to producers, to get that message out to consumers, just the general public, we have such a great story to tell. The beef industry is very unique in the fact that it uses such a great deal of natural landscape that is home to many other different species in that habitat. So I think it really will help us in our public trust efforts. So I, I look forward to doing many different engagements to push that message forward because it's really something that is often misinterpreted when we think about the headline that says beef is terrible for the environment. You want to help climate change. You mm -hmm. should stop eating it. 
well, we got a really important story to tell, especially in Manitoba when we have so many cow-calf producers that maintain this habitat. And I look forward to seeing what sort of support systems we can put in place for producers to keep doing it. Because I think in your areas in particular and across the province, one thing that we're seeing is a lot of our cousins in the uh, agricultural space are converting that land to other uses. And that has its purpose, that has its place, but there is some land that shouldn't be in canola and it should stay as that natural landscape for beef. So I look forward to continuing all efforts around that environmental piece. Tell me a little bit more about the public trust issues. What can producers be doing on a daily basis in order to kind of push the envelope on the benefits of beef production, the benefits of not tearing down trees and keeping those natural landscapes in order to graze animals, and even the benefit of having those grazing animals on the landscape? It's important for every individual to to share the story of their own you know, individual operation. I never want to put a ton of work on producers because they're already swamped. But if you're on social media and you feel there's a you know, a great image to share, I encourage you to do it and have more of that positive messages circulating on, on those various platforms because it's important to share that. And then from an individual operation or producer standpoint, you know, we all have friends, we all have family. Talk to them about your role in the greater picture or your role for grassland habitat, for example. I think some folks will have uh, even ones that live in a rural community that we feel should be tied into agriculture may, might not know all those beneficial messages. So use your connections, use your social media, and continue to put that positive message out. I know there's always various opportunities to come out, whether it's Open Farm Day or Amazing Ag Adventure or other events put on by Ag in the Classroom. Encourage them to get involved in that stuff. Does Manitoba Beef Producers have any hashtags that you guys like to see producers use? <laughs> no, but one thing that I encourage people to promote, and you can put it in a hashtag if you'd like, but it's the Guardians of the Grasslands movie. It's a perfect thing to share on your social media. So, you know, if anybody's just looking to retweet something, go on to that. It's a quick, easy, digestible video that, you know, your family at Easter dinner that might not have that much connection to agriculture, they could quickly watch that off your phone and really get a different perspective on on the beef side of things. So. I'll have to get you to come up with a good hashtag. I'll think on it. I think too, like that change of perspective, even thinking about the difference in mindset of what Greenland looked like 30 years ago and what possibilities there are in incorporating livestock in your Greenland now, or being yeah. able to go the route of more regenerative egg, even if you've been immersed in eggs since you were young, that change mm-hmm. of perspective, I think is something that a lot of people just haven't had exposure to. Yeah, I fully agree. And, you know, whatever some folks feel, I'm one that believes climate change is an issue. And I I know that beef plays an important role and a champion role in mm-hmm. all that it can do for agricultural's emissions. And whether that's using regenerative practices to incorporate them in or maintaining that habitat with those practices, I feel, yeah, there's so much opportunity there and getting those folks that have that potential old school agricultural mindset to just think about the options. It's not always the right answer. I think I'm thinking of grain land that's some of it, big potato land in the Red River Valley might not necessarily have that opportunity, but there is lots of opportunity throughout the province because we have such a wide variety of landscapes.
Okay. We're going to shift gears for the last question that I have for you. At the June 1st MBFI Fence and Water Workshop, participants heard and were able to see an on-site demonstration of different livestock predation prevention fencing options. Can you tell me a bit about the Livestock Predation Pilot Project and what you're hoping to achieve through this program? Yeah, absolutely. And good on you for getting that out because it is a bit of a mouthful. It's actually called the Livestock Predation Protection Pilot Project. I think there's four Ps in there. Really what the, the intent in the project was to assess risk on operations that have been experiencing predation loss, whether that's from you know wolf, coyote, bear, what have you, and see what the risk is. And then look at some of the new risk management practices that are out there to mitigate some of that risk. So at that fencing opportunity, you know, there was enhanced gate systems, enhanced fencing systems, dead stock composting pens. Those are some examples of some of the new RMPs or risk management practice producers are trying out to see if it can help mitigate the risk. With livestock predation, you're not going to stop it completely. It's just the nature of cattle production and how you, you know, animals are on that natural landscape. But there are ways to try to allow for better coexistence. Also, the intent of the project is to get a lot of that information out to producers of what's being tested, what is already available, and what they can do from a lethal and non-lethal standpoint. So they're in a location that's really infested with problem predator wolves. There is a problem predator removal program available in the province to get an experienced licensed trapper into your operation and look to trap and remove some of those more problem predators. The intent is to try to decrease the impact of predation that's happening on farm to farm with both lethal and non-lethal methods. Was there an increase in predation that caused a push for this project or was it just one that's just kind of naturally come about because it's been an ongoing issue? I'd say it's been an ongoing issue for years and this project has been that multiple times before I joined the organization and it was approved before I started. So it was really good to see it move forward and we're hoping to get some good qualitative data out of it uh, for producers to use. By qualitative, I mean good peer-to-peer demonstration and see how it works because with predation, you're never going to have the right answer, but there are ways to try to mitigate it and uh, we just want to try to mitigate those losses. Is there anything else that you want to touch on today before we wrap up? I don't think so. I really enjoyed being here today. I want to say that I'd be happy to join you again and talk about some of the advocacy efforts that happen uh, in Ottawa is an example where I connect you with uh, my colleague who is from Manitoba, Fawn Jackson. She's a key player in CCA and she could give you a lot of actual global insight on advocacy mm-hmm. efforts that would be you know, phenomenal for podcasts like this. That would be great. There's listeners who are wanting to get a hold of you. Um, what is the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, I encourage folks to uh, you know call me here at the office, 204-772-4542, you know, or flip me an email at uh, ccallum at mbbeef.ca. That's the best place to get a hold of me initially. Perfect. And we can put both of those in the show notes as well. I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. This has been a fantastic conversation. And like I said, in the opening, I think that there's some really timely information in here that producers are going to be able to use especially with the challenges that they've had in the last year. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to have me and thank you for taking the time for doing this 
podcast. I think it's a great way to get information out to folks, especially those that like to listen to something as they're, you know, feeding cows or cutting hay or something like that. And I think this is a great way to help us get the message out. And that's an issue that MVP sometimes deals with is having the message of our advocacy efforts widely known because everybody gets their information differently. But this is just a a really valuable way to just chat about it and hear about it from folks like myself. For the listeners who are interested in finding out more about the mental health resources available on Manitoba Beef Producers website, you can find information on the Manitoba Farm and Rural Support Services line by going to supportline.ca. The Clinic Community Health website is clinic.mb.ca and clinic is with a K. FCC also has resources available. I want to do a quick reminder of the deadlines for upcoming extension events at MBFI. On July 6th, we'll be hosting Health Check Your Pastures and Soils and August 3rd, Diversify Your Grazing. For both of these workshops, you can register at www.mbfi.ca slash registration. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without the funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. We want to give a special thank you to Manitoba Beef Producers for all they are doing for the beef industry in Manitoba and for all of their support of the programming at MBFI. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at mbbeefandforage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.